Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good afternoon to you. It is 109 here. Just like the man said, I'm Ian Hoke sitting in for Scoot. It's a really nice Wednesday afternoon. I know it's not going to stay that way throughout the rest of the weekend, so if you get an opportunity to go outside today and get some sunshine and some fresh air, I strongly recommend you do that. Especially if you're like me, you spend most of your day in front of a computer or your phone looking at news, politics, it's good to kind of step away from that for a little bit, you know? Give yourself a break. It's okay. It's okay to go do something else besides pay attention to all the problems in the world. But then you got to come back eventually because this stuff's pretty important. <laughs> I got a pretty interesting show coming up for you. Uh, you heard in the handoff, I'm going to talk in the final hour with Tyler Bridges from the Times Picayune New Orleans Advocate about this breaking news out of Baton Rouge. Uh, we now have official word that this bill that lawmakers have given final approval to permitless carry of concealed handguns, that is on its way to Governor Landry's desk. It will become law. Does that make you feel more protected or more vulnerable as a citizen or as a law enforcement officer? I know there's many of you listening to the station throughout the day. I'd love to hear from you. If you were listening to the news just now, you heard uh, Sheriff Joe Lapinto expressing his concerns about this. My personal feeling on it is it makes me feel more vulnerable, it makes me feel less safe. And if it makes cops feel less safe and it makes cops feel like it's going to make them less effective at their job, that's a pretty powerful confluence of feelings for me. And that suggests that I'm I'm justified in being concerned about this. That is, of course, not the only issue that's being kicked around Baton Rouge as we're going through this special legislative session on crime. It is expected to wrap up pretty soon, uh, owing largely to the fact that Governor Landry is going to get everything he's asking for just about. The Republicans have super majorities in both chambers. There's not much opportunity to push back or resist or slow down, if that is indeed what people want to do. So... The special session was expected to extend into next week initially. I don't think it'll make it past Friday. We'll talk to Tyler Bridges from the times Pick Union New Orleans Advocate about that, about which ideas have become or about to become laws. As some observers say, Landry's reforms won't really be the difference maker that he is hoping for. All of this is meant to make us safer, to reduce crime in New Orleans, in Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Lafayette, and places beyond. And there's been just enough conversation 
among people who really know this stuff well, to include the person who hosts the show that leads into this one. If you've listened to Sheriff Norman's comments on this, then you hear what I hear, and you probably share those same concerns. Same with Sheriff Joe Lapinto. There is not consensus on a lot of this stuff. Some of it there is, and, you know, who knows? We'll give it a chance to work. But it's certainly as far as permitless concealed carry, not a fan myself. But I want to hear from you especially. Does it make you feel more protected or more vulnerable knowing that there's people out there with no permit, no training, who are concealed carrying everywhere, anywhere? At 2 o'clock, we're going to talk a little bit about the Magnificent Seven. And the Magnificent Seven, if you're not familiar with this term, the Magnificent Seven is sort of a catch-all term that uh, economists use to talk about these U.S. tech companies, these huge U.S. tech companies. That's going to be Apple, Amazon, Alphabet. And if you don't know about Alphabet, Alphabet is the parent company of Google. Once Google was worth a, you know $10 trillion or whatever, they said, ah, we're going to diversify a little bit and actually break off into a smaller section of a larger company called Alphabet. So there's uh, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, a couple other properties in that realm, Microsoft, NVIDIA, the chip maker, and Tesla, owned by (laughs) my friend and yours, Elon Musk. The Magnificent Seven are creating a ton of wealth, more wealth than almost every other country in the world. Some of those combined. I got some kind of eye-opening stats for you on that. And hey, I am not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm I'm glad that those U.S. companies are making money and creating wealth and creating jobs and doing what they were designed to do. But is there an implicit danger when so much power is being concentrated and held by big tech in one place? I have a piece from uh, CNBC here that I'll read from a little bit more later. That suggests, yeah, there are definitely some risks inherent in that. There are some dangers there. And people should be aware of what those are. And other players in the market will want to know what those are so they can, you know, plan accordingly, invest accordingly. At 220, we're going to talk to Jose Bautista. This is a a fellow you'll recognize. He's a professor of economics at Xavier University. He's on the air all the time. Great guest, uh, really intelligent and articulate fellow. We'll look forward to speaking to him. In this hour... We're going to talk about your kids, talking about our kids. How can you help if your child is being bullied at school? When bullies destroy a young person's trust, mental health problems are very likely to follow them into adulthood. This is coming from a new study. Some of these uh, findings in the study says that 40% of youth say that they were bullied on school property in the past year. 40%. Four out of ten kids, two out of five kids, say they were bullied at school in the past year. That is a 14% increase from five years ago. Why? Probably the pandemic, obviously. Got to be the biggest factor there. The the, the lack of social-emotional learning, interpersonal skills that came from all those Weeks of being stuck in front of a Zoom call instead of being, you know, in a classroom with your peers. And, you know, the kids aren't all right, I'm afraid to report. We'll talk to Aaron Dugan, who's the director of the LSU Health Science Center Child and Family Counseling Clinic, to see exactly what there is to do about that. I got a bunch of other interesting stuff to kind of chuck in here. Oh, I forgot to mention, we're also going to talk to Bobby Schwartzberg, 
who is the captain of the crew of Ferret. If you heard the news yesterday, you already know the crew of Ferret has decided they're done with plastic beads. No more plastic beads will be thrown at their parades. They find that they're getting so much traction out of throwing other stuff, the doubloons and maybe the glass beads and hats and masks, uh, that they're going to ban throwing plastic beads. I, in full disclosure, uh, over the years, in and out, have been a member of the crew of Ferret. I think I rode for them for the first time about 10 years ago. Um, I rode with them, not this year, because I was with Mad Hatters. Mad Hatters and Ferret roll on the same day, so I'm always a little bit torn there. But uh, I can't wait to talk to Bobby and learn you know, what the crew's decision-making process in this regard was like. Would you go to a parade where you know you're not going to catch any beads? Does that kind of change the experience for you at all? Or would you be satisfied to catch, you know, hats and masks and spears and, you know, fanny packs and whatever else they're chucking around out there? Hey, Coleman, are you are you a big parade guy? I don't think we talked about this really. No, but I am a big bead guy. You're a big bead guy. Yeah, see, I think this uh, the not throwing in the beads is going to mess up the Bourbon Street economy. Because what I usually do on uh, Bourbon Street on Mardi Gras Day uh-huh. is I try to get the best, most you know, uh, attractive beads. Yeah. And then I would exchange those beads for uh, certain favors from some of the tourists or whatever like that. But now, well, like, uh, they... you're talking about like, um, like a back rub or you want them to no, uh, you know, kind clean, of just like clean a, your uh, shoes for you or run, more like a run, flash, run an air. Oh, a flash. Oh, I mean, I see. it's New Orleans. <laughs> so and they usually do uh, it for beads. Uh, so yes. now I'm thinking if they're going to. Well, that's what I heard. <laughs> if they're going to get rid of the beads, are they going to do it for the blooms now? Maybe coconuts? And now I have to figure out how the economy is going to change on Bourbon Street without the beads. Maybe I should ask Professor Bautista about this, the professor of economics. I'm really concerned about that. Maybe this, maybe this would be thing. somewhat in his wheelhouse. Hey, thanks, Coleman. You're doing a great job this week, man. Thank you so much. Oh, let me, too, say Jordan Fiegel, who is our executive producer here, he has a ton of other duties in addition to booking Tommy Tucker's show, which is not a small feat. Tommy has 40 guests every week that have to be, you know, put in the right time spot. And, man, reached out to him back and forth with emails. It's It's a huge, huge lift. He does a lot of other stuff behind the scenes, and he's been helping me out a lot this week with lining up the guests that I'm speaking to. And I don't think I've done a thorough job of thanking him for that uh, yesterday and Monday. So, Jordan, Lord of the Nasdor, thank you so much for your work. Uh, hey, how about them Tigers, man? LSU Tigers finished out the three-game homestand last night with a one-point win over the Georgia Bulldogs. That uh, final score there was 67-66. LSU baseball is going to play tonight uh, against Rice in Texas. First pitch is at 7 o'clock right here on WWL amfm.com and always live on that free odyssey app we'll go ahead and uh, step away here and come back with aaron dugan from the lsu health sciences center and talk about uh, this bullying situation really want to hear from you about anything i mentioned so far today you already know the numbers 504-260-1870 i'll read all of your texts i'll reply to as many of them as i can and the very best ones i'll read on the air so make them count i'm ian hoken for scoot he'll be back monday I'm going to be right back after this. Thanks so much. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. How do you keep your kids safe if they're being bullied at school or outside of school for that matter? You need to know about a new study that shows kids who are bullied at a young age develop mental health issues at a heightened rate, both as teenagers and as young adults. Here to talk with us about this is Aaron Dugan, who's the director of the LSU Health Science Center Child Family Counseling Clinic. Ms. Dugan, welcome to this program. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, honorifics are important to me, ma'am. Doctor or counselor, what's the best way to address you? Uh, Dr. Dugan's fine. Okay, superb. All right, reading now from UPI.com, childhood bullying can significantly impact mental health in adulthood, a study conducted with 10,000 children in the United Kingdom over nearly 20 years found that kids who were bullied at age 11 became distrustful by age 14. They were three and a half times more likely to have mental health problems by the time they turned 17. The study is the first to investigate the link between peer bullying, interpersonal distrust, and the development of mental health problems such as anxiety, depression, hyperactivity, anger and the like youth mental health is a growing public concern with 44 percent of u.s high school students reporting depression for at least two weeks in 2021 and this is really frightening to me 10 percent of u.s high school students attempted to take their own lives last year it's it's possible i'm misreading that maybe it's 10 percent of the 44 percent it seems insane to me that one out of 10 high school students are thinking about suicide, but in any case, the the study is disturbing. Doctor, can you share your overall thoughts with us on the findings of the study that links childhood bullying to long-term mental health issues? Yes. Um, you know, long-term bullying um, and, and that of which can be one of three categories, either verbal bullying, nonverbal bullying, or psychological bullying, um, you know, represent the three categories of the types of bullying that is done in kids um, and the victim symptoms, you know, that start out as low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, annoyance, fear, sadness, et cetera, um, can increase, you know, to that emotional trauma, as you described, anxiety, depression, uh, hyperactivity, such as ADHD uh, disorder diagnoses and, and conduct disorder. You know, even in fact, that, that does lead children to take more extreme measures and engage in such. Um, and it is our job as practitioners and caregivers in children's lives to look at modalities to help and provide not only preventative strategies, but interventions um, that are clinically proven to provide support and resources to these children. Excellent. Uh, in my setup there in the, in the previous segment, I, I read here from a, another part of the study that says 40 percent of youth say they were bullied at school in the past year. That is a 14 percent increase uh, over 2019. And, and I sort of just posited as a guess that the lack of social and emotional learning that kids were able to do during the pandemic, the time when they were stuck doing, uh, you know, Zoom calls instead of being in, in school, may have led to part of this increase. What role does social and emotional 
learning play in ameliorating some of these issues? Yeah, social-emotional learning is a key ingredient in children's development, um, not only for their social and emotional development, but for their physical development, their mental development, and as such. Um, you know, children who do not receive the appropriate foundational um, education and knowledge of such social skills, you know, the reference is social-emotional, go on, you know, in the world without knowing what to do. Um, and how to engage and interact with kids, regardless of whether it's initiated play, reciprocated play, et cetera. And so, you know, simple things such as eye contact, use of messages, um, verbal communication, nonverbal communication, et cetera, not all kids have that innately um, within them and, and have the capacity to be able to engage with other kids as such. And just like you're describing back during COVID, especially for children maybe whose parents, you know, or caregivers both worked, you know, were led to, you know, themselves at some point and maybe on the screens or, um, you know, in video games interacting um, and being able to see only what was available to them. Um, but many of them isolated and not engaging in that just initiated and or much less repetitious uh, rehearsal behavior of, of that social interaction. Doctor, at the risk of getting to a little bit far afield of what I asked you on here to talk about today, uh, SEL, social and emotional learning, seems to get lumped in sometimes mm -hmm. in political discussions about DEI initiatives, uh, even critical race theory. Somehow social and emotional learning in, in some parts of our society has become viewed like it's a bad thing that there shouldn't be an effort in schools to encourage social and emotional learning among our kids. Do you find that in your line of work? And what's your response? I do find it, um, unfortunately, um, but I'm always an advocate um, to educating children on social emotional language and learning um, based on there's many, many social emotional learning curriculums out there that guidance counselors, you know, for instance, at the schools, uh, can provide children in the classroom setting um, outside of just any kind of short-term uh, clinical counseling that they may be providing a child or two, you know, that, that might stop into their um, into their, their clinics at, on the school campus. You know, these social-emotional learning curriculums can help children learn the social skills they need to feel more confident and competent in the engagement with fellow peers in the classroom. You know, it's often that a child feels uh, insecure and so thus is trying to assume control and power. And so by trying, attempting to do such, that sought for control and power, it may exactly come out, you know, to, to the next peer as bullying. And then that child feels inferior um, and less secure. And then that cycle potentially could continue to, to repeat itself. Yeah, it's just it's just so strange and sad to me that there's there's parents out there and activist groups that look at these, uh, you know, showing and understanding empathy for others, managing your emotions, uh, recognize your emotions and the emotions of others. They look at that and think that that's somehow a threat to to their kid's well-being or, or their ability to, yeah. to parent their kid the way they want. Uh, just another indicator of where we're headed as a country, I suppose. Uh, doctor, what signs or behaviors might indicate that a kid is struggling with the effect of past bullying? Sure. Uh, low self-esteem, depression, annoyance, fear, sadness, withdrawal, isolation, uh, you know, decreased interest in preferred or once-liked activities. Mm -hmm. Um, the, these are all symptoms and signs. 
What about teens and adults? Is it possible that in our day-to-day lives as walking, talking adults, we encounter people who have some of these issues that, you know, just the things you just talked about, annoyance, anxiety, depression, anger, in, in your sure. view? I mean, like, many yeah, what's other your, symptoms. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Go ahead. Some other symptoms, you know, might be irritability, jumpiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an adolescent or adult, and this is not, you know, exclusive, inclusive of, of just the adolescents and adults, but children as well, they might be losing things, forgetful, you know, avoiding, um, you know, particular environments, et cetera, isolating themselves, working in silos. What can parents, what, what should parents be asking of educators? What should they be asking of their teachers, their school administrators, uh, to help them address bullying at school in a way that protects their kids' mental health? Sure. I think one of the first and foremost things that I work alongside a lot of with the caregivers, you know, that we provide services to their children here in our clinic is to allow them the permission that not only their child's feelings are valued, but their own feelings are valued. I think, you know, for me, a lot of times, you know, and as a parent myself, you know, when my child is emoting, you know, in a sad, angry, you know, negative uh, fashion, it it's you know it, it it exhibits insecurity for myself um, as parents we want to safeguard we want to protect we want to you know have everything okay we want to take away that hurt and pain and sometimes just allowing the child just like we would allow ourselves to just be and experience that emotion um, that often is not being done so you know twofold for me what can schools do you ask schools can not only give parents the education about how to use our own tools as caregivers, but also to educate our children. Um, a lot of times, you know, we, we want to reach out to kids and, and take their hurts and fears away. And it's important to stop and listen and acknowledge by reflecting thoughts, summarizing their feelings, et cetera, as to serve as a mirror, you know, for the child so that they can hear and see themselves and know that their voice is heard. Um, another, you know, really great, great tool that we can teach, you know, parents is being able to not only reflect their, their child's feelings, but their own feelings. The more that children can hear about their parents' feelings at a particular level, right, of threshold, there's always parameters, you know, in there, then children will also feel more comfortable to discuss and initiate conversations about their feelings as well. Um, we want to educate children to tell someone if they feel a level of insecurity or bullying, et cetera, um, so that we can get into the classrooms and maybe teach empathy, for instance. Again, not all children are born uh, with a level of empathy um, that is comparable to the next. Um, teaching you know, children to techniques such as having a safety buddy, um, you know, how to stand up for a friend if that peer is in a situation that is feeling uncomfortable and on the, on the level or direction of, of bullying. I have a text here uh, that says, why is the bully not looked at as mentally ill when they're the ones who are acting like goofballs bothering these poor other kids who are just trying to live through it? Your response. Yeah, those kids are often they were bullied as well. Yeah. Um, and really looking you know, at them as what their experiences were and or currently are um, is key. Okay, going back to that uh, study from the University of Glasgow at UCLA, it emphasizes the importance of trust. Uh, how do you and, and people in your line of work help kids rebuild trust in themselves after they've experienced bullying? Yeah, 
in order to provide any level of, of therapy or, or mental health care, that, that relationship needs to exist. And trust is the crucial element, you know, of that relationship. Um, we need to develop and demonstrate consistency. We need to develop and demonstrate non-threatening environments and atmospheres for, ch- for children to be able to feel that they are able to trust that environment. We, we need to demonstrate predictability, routines, rituals, et cetera. That is how, how trust is cultivated, the follow-through aspect. Once we say something, we're following through, um, even if it's you'd like to change the outcome of, of what you initially said in the, in the very moment the next time. Uh, doctor, I think, and I, 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 I hope that you would agree, um, we're having a much more robust conversation about this than we would have been 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But yes. we still have this, this thread, uh, this sort of cultural meme hanging around that, you know, maybe bullying is actually good for kids because it makes them have a tough skin and it makes them more likely to stand up for themselves. Um, and what's your reaction? Are there any positive outcomes to a sustained amount of bullying at a young age? I don't know that I would agree with if there's any positive outcomes. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I, I wasn't um, looking for an affirmative answer it, there. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, being able to um, engage in assertiveness training and support, you know, for young children and any person of any age, you know, in that in that vein. Um, you know, we can, we can develop confidence and competency, you know, around asserting ourselves and being mm-hmm. able to share messages about how we're feeling and what we're thinking. So it, that sounds a little bit like the SEL then, that social emotional learning. If anybody feels like, well, you know, I grew up in such and such in 1965 and I got bullied and I turned out okay. Maybe you did, but you probably also suffered a lot and you might have developed some issues that you didn't ever deal with later on. And now that we know more about social emotional learning in today's society, in today's schools, that would fill the gap that 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 any 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 perceived benefit that you got from being bullied as a kid. There are now curriculums and programs that we have to get that work done without the 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 attack that a bullying uh, that the a bullying event actually is right correct yeah the social emotional learning you know curriculums focus on several dimensions but some of the the top you know dimensions focus on not only um, relationship skills and social awareness but self awareness self management and responsible decision making and these are you know as you you hear me list these um, I would imagine you know the listeners and including ourselves would say yes 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 you know, to, to all those dimensions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. It just equips us to be the very best that we can be to reach our potential. The study also mentions uh, focusing on what it says uh, are transaction, I'm sorry, not transaction, transitional periods in a child's life, like when they move from one uh-huh. school to the other, or perhaps uh, the family goes through a divorce and they, they move into a new home and there's a new sort of parental figure around. Uh, how critical are these moments in a child's life and how can we better support kids in those moments? Yeah, they're they're very important, and just as just as such, you know, it doesn't have to be something concretely happening, um, you know, such as a move, a loss of a parent, a new school, et cetera. Um, you know, through the child's development, you know, many of the theorists that study and 
have published on ages and stages, there's natural transitions that the child goes through psychosocially, psychosexually, morally, um, et cetera, just to name a few. And through all these transitions in the child's life, and there are many in those early years, you know, up until adolescence, you know, where then by they start spacing themselves out, they're critical at any time. Um, you know, it's a daily, um, you know, dose of intervention, in my opinion, that we need to pull around children, wrap around, if you may, those those key dimensions in the social, such as the social emotional learning curriculum. Mm. Here's a text that says, could you please ask the doctor about this trauma response? We have a young 18 year old man who will be coming to stay with us for 10 days. We have been told he will not eat in front of people. He was abused as a child. He had an alcoholic mother and was physically abused by an older brother. He was taken into foster care at seven years old, adopted at 11 years old. What is the best way for us to handle this while he visits us? Yeah, meet him where he is. Absolutely. Um, we can't speed up a child's pro- pro- progress, excuse me, no, no matter how old the child is. And so asking him what, what makes him feel comfortable, what makes him feel safe and meeting him where he is. And then once that relationship starts to build and if it builds and the trust is established, then we can start moving in, in, a, in a different direction. But again, following that child's lead. Okay, just uh, one more here, doctor. <laughs> okay, this is, this is silly, but this, this texter says, hey, the school could give the kids the Cure albums or some old Morrissey albums. It worked for me. Is there any scientific <laughs> evidence that like sad music can help kids work through their mental health issues? Well, you know, play, uh, I'm a registered play therapist and, you know, strongly believe in the power of play and play comes in many forms. And so what, what strikes me is, is the music, you know, piece as a form of communication and expression. And, and anytime we engage in play, something that brings us joy, elevates our spirits, alleviates boredom, uh, deescalates stress, et cetera, absolutely can be supportive and useful. Doctor, anything else you want uh, our audience to know before you go? Anything? Yeah, you know, so I'll just speak and, and advocate for, for the profession of play therapy. Play therapy is, is a modality used in uh, mental health counseling that connects with young kids, primarily kids under the age of 10. Um, but if there is a child, um, you know, out there who's presenting with issues, um, demonstrating symptoms, et cetera, that are either, you know, visibly seen or, or not visibly seen, um, I would absolutely encourage any of the caregivers or, or individuals on the line uh, to reach out to a local play therapist. Um, play therapy offers the child a way and a means that's not in line with the traditional talk therapy, but a, a play cure so that they can embrace and, and, and engage in the powers of play to help them express their pain, take away the need maybe to bully themselves and or aggress on others, release their negative emotions, and express their feelings through play. Uh, Two more quick points, and then I'll let you go, Doctor. Here at the top of the pile is a text that says, Ian, thanks for booking this topic. Your guest was very helpful in explaining uh, some of the many issues I've been trying to deal with all my life with little success. Thank you. So good work, Doctor. I want you to know you're making a difference out there. How can people get in touch if, if they want to learn more about play therapy or they have more questions, they want to get their kid into some sort of uh, treatment program, what do they do? 
Yeah, happy to direct that. The Association for Play Therapy um, is our uh, international organization, and uh, individuals can visit their webpage at a the number four pt.org. That's a four pt.org. And locally here in New Orleans, um, our clinic is housed at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in the Child and Family Counseling Clinic. And happy for folks, you know, to to give us a ring. Um, we are uh, located um, on Tulane Avenue, right off of Claiborne, across from University Medical Center, um, and provide a number of services to children, adolescents, and adults in the greater New Orleans area. Uh, that number is 504-556-3451. 504-556-3451. Great. Okay, folks, if you heard that and you don't have a time to write it down, you can text me and I'll read it back to you. I've got it in front of me all, have it all day. <laughs> Doctor, I'll, I'll stop us there. Thank you so much. The, my guest is Dr. Aaron Dugan, the director of the Louisiana State University Health Science Center Child and Family Counseling Clinic. Thank you for your time. You're working your way. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. You too. All right. Take good care. I'm pretty late, so I'm going to step away here and come back with more of your text messages. If you got anything else you want to say about bullying, your past experience, your children's past experience, any questions or comments or feedback that you may want to share, get in touch on the Oakland Art Jewelers Talking Text Line. That's 504-260-1870. And again, I have that phone number for the doctor's clinic. It is 556-3451. in the 504. And I got more information for you coming back after this. I'm Ian Hoken for Scoot, and I'll be right back. On the Oakland Art Jewelers talking text line, I got a message here from a friend of the show, the coordinator. Coordinator says, hey, Ian, today's the last day of Black History Month. I think it'd be great if you could read Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, in honor of it. Two things, coordinator. Uh, today is not the last day of February. It is a leap year. Uh, we have one more day of February yet to go, which means today is... Not the last day of Black History Month, but I appreciate you bringing this up. In regard to uh, reading Amanda's poem, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's a great poem. I'm not sure I'm the right person to read it. I would instead just encourage people to go and watch Amanda's performance of that poem. Uh, she did an amazing job. I, I know she did it at Joe Biden's inauguration. Even if you don't like Mr. Biden or you think that he wasn't fairly elected president, I would hope that you could watch Miss Gorman's performance of this poem and find something to take away from it. Uh, if you like, you can just send me a text message and say, hey, I want to link to the poem. I got the YouTube video up here on my computer. I'll just text it right back to you if you want to hear from uh, Miss Gorman. It's about six minutes. It really is pretty beautiful. Here's a text from George and Hammond. George says, my dad and I, uh, my dad, I had gotten, mm, wait a minute. Hey, Ian, George, my dad. I had gotten bullied a couple of times by people. Uh, I told my daddy about it, and he gave me two options. Either uh, either there would... Mm, shoot, these are kind of out of order. I'm sorry, George. I'm not going to do a great job of reading this. He gave me two options. Uh, he put... Uh, oh, shoot. He taught me how to defend myself. Dad put me in martial arts and taught me how to box and street fight, and then when a bully starts fooling with me, you stand up to him and knock the heck out of him, and then they'll leave you alone. That's the truth. In fact, one of my bullies ended up being one of my best friends. I love that. That's a really nice story, George and Hammond. I'm sorry I kind of tripped over your text message. Sometimes these come in a little bit uh, jumbled up. Uh, here's another text message that says, uh, I was able to outlive bullying by accepting my life as, hey, it's me and I'm good with it. Age helps. That stuff's really hard when you're younger. You just have to live through it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm glad that worked out for you, Texter. It would be great if everybody had the same kind of 
tools that you had, the social and emotional mental tools to to endure that bullying and persevere. Some some young kids aren't that lucky and they are not able to stand up uh, for themselves in that regard. And and so the, the damage that's done by that bullying uh, hits harder and lasts longer, I'm afraid. I, I'm going to step away again here. I don't want to be too rushed going into the three o'clock news. So we'll get a little more business done here and I'll be right back in just a moment. Coming up in the next hour, we are going to talk to Jose Bautista about the Magnificent Seven, these gigantic tech companies that are amassing a ton of wealth. And I'm not here to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's such an incredible amount of wealth that it kind of makes me think about it and like it might be a little sketchy might might not pass the smell test exactly and some other economists that uh i were reading from this morning agree we'll talk at 220 to jose bautista he's a professor of economics at xavier university first we'll do the news with chris miller at two o'clock i'm ian hoke in for scoot and i'll be right back after this ah the drudge report we know the drudge report they had a headline out on monday morning blaring 40% of Republicans vote against Donald Trump in the South Carolina primary, warning signs of a divided party. The Drudge Report linked to The Hill, Axios and The Wall Street Journal, all supporting the argument that losing 40% of the vote should be interpreted as, quote, a five alarm fire. And reading now from the Daily Beast, a Fox News voter analysis, a Fox News Voter analysis showed that 59% of Nikki Haley voters in South Carolina say they would not support Trump in the general. Again, almost 60% of Nikki Haley voters in South Carolina, who made up almost 40% of all the votes cast, say they will not support Trump in the general if he's the nominee. And if you think that's unique to South Carolina, the same thing happened in Iowa. Nearly half of Nikki Haley's voters in Iowa also said they would not support Trump come November. Now, Biden didn't exactly have a five-star performance in Michigan or South Carolina. But I think the Biden campaign understands those vulnerabilities. I'm not sure the Trump campaign does. I think they think they're invincible, and I think maybe they shouldn't think that. We'll talk more about that in the news bomb at 210. We'll get caught up with local news right here with Chris Miller. I'm Ian Hoke, and I'll be right back after this. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 